All right, so today on the cast, I got Thomas Smalley, T. Smalls. He's the assistant strength and conditioning coach at St. Anselm in Manchester, New Hampshire. Is that right? That is right. All right, crushing it so far already. How you doing, T. Smalls? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So you you just started out in this new role on Monday, you were telling me before, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I started Monday um, working for Coach Fitzgerald who is also a, a, a Merrimack program alum, which is exciting uh, right. that he kind of has had the same professors as me and has been through the same coursework as me. Although he did say that his uh, capstone was a lot harder than ours. So really? uh, we'll have to see about that. But uh, yeah, so it's been a real, it's been a whirlwind the past few days. I mean, we, uh, I got here Monday morning and got COVID tested and then kind of jumped right in with programming and, and meeting all the different uh, administration and uh, different teams and just trying to get acclimated. So I'm, I'm still commuting from North Andover. So uh, I'm, I'm not really that familiar with Manchester yet, but yeah. hopefully uh, I start finding, you know, the best breakfast sandwich spots. And, yeah, you got to look for that. That's yeah, definitely need the best breakfast sandwich spots, the iced coffee spots. And, you know, definitely the, the food. I'm definitely a foodie. So definitely need the eats. Well, let me, let me know when you find the best breakfast sandwich. Yeah, that, definitely. That's when we'll start talking. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what are your first initial thoughts kind of jumping into a program late? Because I've been there before and, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, and especially it's not easy now because, you know, you want, you want to give the athletes face time, but you literally can't with a mask on. So take me through that, that process right now of, of getting them to feel comfortable with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the first thing I did was obviously meet with the coaches first, me with the ATs, um, you know, I want to get to know them, even if they can't, they can only see the, the, the top half of my face, you know, right. at least they can see me in person and, you know, know that I, I'm here to help them help the athletes meet their goals. You know, that's the, at that, at the end of the day, we never want to forget why we're in this business and that's for, that's helping the student athlete perform better on and off the field or court. So right away, you know, I, I was able to get in the weight room and just, assist with some teams that day and then I started meeting with uh so just recently today I went to women's tennis practice met the, the ladies there and I met the coach so just trying to get acclimated uh I have baseball tomorrow morning at 6 a.m so nice. uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot of fun getting to know them and it, I mean that was definitely an interesting position too is because you know coming in one with the, the COVID protocol um you know St. Anselm's doing a really good job of testing and keeping people in pods and, and organizing it well, but I have to have three groups of baseball. So scheduling them in and kind of make, right. making coach Fitzgerald's life easier as he takes on the head role. Um, you know, that's what I want to do for him. So it's definitely been a, an exciting week. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of bumps in the long way, but nothing that will be too challenging. I think, you know, we're going to have a lot of success here and, I'm yeah. lucky that I'm learning from Coach Fitzgerald, who's learned from a lot of great people himself. Right, right. And it sounds like you've kind of you've positioned yourself in a situation to continue to learn, even as you finish your master's program. Definitely. Yeah, actually, in my interview, Coach Fitzgerald asked me what I was reading currently and what was the last book I read. So he's huge on continuing ed. Um, yeah. As a staff, I know we're going to start doing, you know, a podcast a week. Um, start with start this doing, one. Perfect. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, so I, I definitely like that aspect. That's something, you know, 
you're not just getting interviewed when you're when you're going for an interview with a place you're in you should be interviewing them too and that was something that really appealed to me that you know we're going to make sure we're still learning and we don't have all the answers we're, we're always right. seeking knowledge and that's that's kind of how coach Fitzgerald is which I really you know I really uh look up to that fact and I think that's a really valuable uh skill to have yeah so going through the interview process because this is something that I'm sure got brought up as well and you know you and I are both well, for you, you were a grad fellow. So what did you feel like you needed to say um, to show Coach Fitzgerald that, you know, you could make that transition from grad fellow to a full-time staff? Did you feel like there was something that you had to prove to him? How did you kind of go about that bump? Yeah, I think the, I think the, the main thing is, you know, I've been programming for three years now, but I'm nowhere near where I want to be with programming. And I think as a coach, you're always evolving. And you know, any coach that, that tells you that they were the best programmer their first three years of their strength coach career is probably lying to you because if they look back at their last programs, they'd probably laugh. So, you know, I think that was one thing, being prepared with my programs and see, and showing him my process of how, how I do things, how I learn from Tufts, how I learn from Siena. But really the main thing that, that I thought that, I, that could separate me and, and really show him why I, I should be chosen for that that job was my enthusiasm, uh, my enthusiasm for helping individuals meet their, their performance goals and, you know, their personal goals. And I think that was definitely, you know, my interpersonal relations, you know, I think we both can agree. We both have really strong inter interpersonal skills and that's, that's something that goes a long way in this field. And so I, I wanted to make sure that he knew when I, when I, by the time I left the interview, I wanted to make sure he knew that I was going to be someone that was going to come in and not, dodge people in the hallway i was going to be someone that was going to say hi be assertive and and say hello and be in a good mood and and bring that in energy every day you know we talk about being the thermostat not the, ther the thermometer right thermostat you can adjust you adjust the energy in the room at, by your energy alone so you know that's the kind of the kind of coach i want to be um you know obviously there's still step there's i have so much to to grow and learn and uh so much to improve on but you know, it's, it's an exciting step for me. And, you know, I, I, I hope I'm here for a while and able to really build something with the, with the athletic department. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a two way street too. I think they're lucky to have you already. I know you're making a, a big impact on, on week one. I think this is a good segue though, to kind of dive into what you and I really want to talk about as well. And that's really your involvement in, um, bringing to light some of the mental mental health issues that are, are arising, not only, uh, you know, in athletes, but just uh, college-age students and below and older. Um, so t tell me kind of how you got involved with um, some of these foundations and yeah, absolutely. What, what, what you do right now with them. Yeah, so I'm currently a, a lead advocate for the International OCD Foundation, uh, which is based out of Boston and L.A., and uh, so pretty much what I'm doing is I'm leading an initiative as a lead advocate to incorporate anxiety in athletes and bring light what athletes go through on a day-to-day -day basis and the personal mental health struggles that they deal with and kind of bring those to light to make a community. And, and by making that community, we get one person that's less alone, right? So, right even if it's one person at a time, we're, we're building this community. And that's what my kind of goal is uh, going forward. So I pretty much, you know, when I was in high school, my athletic career uh, was 
was pretty much derailed by my junior year of high school uh, because of obsessive compulsive disorder and depression and chronic depression. And, you know, that's something that I talked about later on in high school, uh, late, probably senior year, junior, end of junior year, senior year. And I was able to start sharing about it. And then it kind of got bigger in college, but it's not, you know, it's, it's something that I've been told to hide in my interviews and, and not, uh, not talk about it so freely. But to me, I wouldn't want to work somewhere that makes me hide part of a major part of who I am. Right. And that's, that's what I kind of learned. I've, I've learned that if that, if that place doesn't want me because of that, then that's not the right place for me. Right. I kept that on my resume and St. Ansem hired me. So clearly this was the right place because they're, they're letting, letting me be myself and show my vulnerability. And that's kind of what my, my initiative is, is showing that vulnerability because I think that vulnerability, if you, if you're able to show it, especially in our, in our role, it can be our greatest strength because now this, the athletes are looking at you like, Oh, he's one of us, you know, like he's, we respect him, but he gets what we're going through on a day-to-day basis. Right. And that was, that was kind of something that I've, I wanted to intertwine with my work with the IFCDF. So, um, you know, my background in mental health. So I was diagnosed when I was 16 years old uh, with OCD and OCD is kind of a loose term that people use. Like I'm so OCD. Mm. And a lot of times people use those mental health uh, disorders as adjectives. Like I'm, I'm so bipolar today. Like you can't be bipolar. You can't be kind of bipolar. You can't kind of have OCD. You are diagnosed with a mental health disorder. OCD has been ranked in a top 10 of most debilitating mental disorders, psychological disorders, like 10 years in a row. So it's not something that that should be used uh, just because we like our books in a straight line. Um, And, you know, that's what I'm kind of trying to bring to light and not just with OCD, but with anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, all these different mental health disorders that got used as terms instead of acknowledging for what they really are. And it's things that really debilitate people. Right. And I, I think going back to that example you used um, with keeping the books in line, I think that's, that's what people tend to picture and it makes it difficult for those that um, might be dealing with, with an OCD illness. And, you know, it's a little bit more abstract than putting the books in line. It's, you know, uh, not understanding why they're having so many compulsive thoughts so often. Right, exactly. So like you said, so especially walking through the hallway and saying hi to everyone, like you said, you know, when we started this, um, you're, you're doing that in a different way. You're showing your athletes that, you know, you are vulnerable. You were, you were in a certain scenario and that, you know, this certain scenario can be worked with, you know, it doesn't always need to be overcome. I think that's a big thing too, is right. You don't need that, to be, that's so true, man. That's so true. I think, yeah. You know, we're like, oh, we have this huge mountain we have to climb over. Right. You can move with the mountain. <laughs> yeah. You know right. what I mean? You're so, you're so right. And I think that's, you know, it's not like I just cured myself and boom, I'm, you know, I'm here today. Right. It's been a, a I, I still am in treatment. I still take medication, you know, right. these are things that I, I'm open about now, but that are true to me. You know, I, I don't let OCD define me and my depression define me, but I don't want to hide it either. And that's kind of, you know, where I'm at with, with my journey. I think that that's really true what you're saying. You know, people look at this huge, you know, I, I, I let my, I wanted my athletes to know I hit rock bottom. You know, I was suicidal. I didn't want to, I couldn't leave the house. Uh, I was failing out of high school. So 
I hit that that low point, and I've seen low. I've seen the lowest of lows. So I understand what 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 these athletes are going through in in different ways. So I think that's definitely something that, you know, I almost you know can be seen as a negative, but I've tried to turn it into a positive in, in the way I approach things. But it's not without struggle, right? I think looking at it in high school, I probably was like, oh, I have to overcome this. Uh, I'm never going to. There's no way I can get over this. But really, it's managing it day to day, being in the present and and understanding that there's going to be good days and bad days and, right. and trying to, to manage it and, and do that maintenance work. Right. It's, it's less about the light at the end of the tunnel and more so about here's our current situation. You know, are we going to take one or two steps forward or backward? Um, Definitely. You know, so as a coach, how have you made uh, have you made it clear to your athletes that this is something they can come come to you with? Um, and I think I, th- I do think this is important because um, there is this kind of stereotypical strength and conditioning coach and athletes tend to uh, believe that that's every strength coach in the room, that they're this right, um, right. bald guy with a red beard, you know, good looking. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, you know what I mean? You know, kind of kind of scary looking and that they, they can't um, – they can't even begin to process the complex feelings that, you know, their athletes are feeling. So what, what do you do to make sure that they, that they can do that? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely have some, some tactics that I use. I think the first thing that I would say is kind of just being myself and, and letting them know who I am and kind of getting those side conversations going amongst training sessions and kind of yeah. asking, you know, you know, their background, just kind of getting to know them first. And then, you know, obviously, social media plays a part. Um, you know, I'm, my account is in private, so people see it probably. And, and that kind of, you know, I post these podcasts, I post things that I do with the mental health community. Right. And that kind of shows them that, Oh, he's a little bit, you know, sensitive and can and understand and is empathetic and understands what I'm dealing with. I think another thing that we, that we deal with what you were saying, not just, the, the bald man with the red beard because you are one of the best coaches around that I've seen. So I don't, I don't know if that's a, that's the, the best uh, example, but I think there is a, a macho man's culture in strength and conditioning too, that I think as I've got, as I've gotten uh, deeper into my, my career now, it needs to be broken down a little bit. Right. I think, you know, we don't always have to be this hard ass um, coach that is always, you know, demanding, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're with these athletes, you know, for 45 minutes to an hour, a few times a week. You know, if you're lucky, you're a, a one team strength coach and you're traveling with them. And, you right. know, you know, that's the dream, obviously, but like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, then you get to do them, you get team dinners, you know, that kind of thing. But I think one thing to remember is they, they're away from their sport coach who decides their playing time when they're with us, they're yeah. with us just to get better. That's all we're focused on, just getting better. And I think that's what makes our profession so valuable and so special is that we don't decide their fate, you know, of, of what their, what their playing time will be or what their, uh, you know, if they're going to start that kind of thing. Right. I think that's why they're able to kind of take a step back and, kind of understand that we're just here as coaches to get you better. And, and they're able to open up a little bit more, which is where I kind of tie in my mental health background and I'm able to open up more. And the combination of the two gets us 
to know each other a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's huge. The point about the sport coaches too is, is pivotal because I think athletes do sometimes come in and they think, uh, oh, you know, oh man, uh, I hope coach, uh, coach Smalley doesn't tell coach that I, that I didn't lift well today. Like my plane. No, like that's not right. it at all. Like exactly. we are, we are so laser focused on uh, the minutia of what's going on in that room that we want everyone to get a little bit Absolutely. more. Time. Um, that's so true, man. It's, it's so true. I think definitely people think that we're obviously we're working with the sport coaches and we, we want to meet their demands and their, and their goals, but we're not, going over to them over to their office right away and saying, Oh, he didn't lift, you know, <laughs> he didn't grab a heavier dumbbell for the third set. And, you know, we're not like that. We, we just want to see everybody. We want to see that progression. Yeah. Well, one thing I do want to talk about is you mentioned social media. Um, and you know, we were, we were kind of in a weird middle area with it when we were in high school. Um, have you seen, social media playing its role in athlete mental illness um and have you seen it kind of make its way into the weight room as well yeah i mean i think it's such a loaded it's it's so true it's such a loaded topic social media is and i think you know one thing's for sure it's it's kind of an extension of our resume as coaches which unfortunately is the unfortunate truth um even if you're private it's just kind of the the fact of the matter i've had you know, a few interns, uh, internships that I applied for there where they followed me, checked out my page and then, you know, didn't contact me after, after I talked to them. So it's, you know, it's kind of a a thing where, you know, you have to be careful of what you're posting, but to me, I'm going to be the most vulnerable and and authentic. Authenticity is, is king. I think, you know, the more authentic we can be, the better. And that's what, that's what I'm going to be on my social media. But as far as athletes, I think, Definitely the one thing to remember is, especially on Instagram, people are posting the highlights of their lives. Right. And athlete, you know, a lot of college age students don't understand that, that these are, they're, they're not posting the down days. They're posting the best moments for their, for their Instagram posts. And I think that kind of warps into this comparison and that can kind of downward, downward spiral these athletes, uh, mental state. And I think that definitely, definitely has, has comes into play, especially, um, amongst this COVID situation too. Right. Right. And just even seeing other people at other schools where things might be more open and they're kind of, they're kind of wondering why their lives were derailed at this moment. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, there's different restrictions everywhere. I, I know, I, I know coaches down South where there's no masks in the weight room, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's different everywhere. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right. It's just that what the kids see is, well, why can't we do that? And it's, you know, we have different protocols. I'm sorry, but um, no, I definitely agree. It's, it's social media can be tricky. And I think it's something that can be useful if used right, but harmful if used wrong. And I, I mean, obviously that's uh, goes for anything, but I think uh, it definitely can be, it definitely can be uh, a negative for some a- athletes, mental health. I think, I think too, especially during, you know, COVID times, you know, who's, whose profile are you personally checking the most? Um, the reality is, is you're checking your own profile the most. Like, yeah, we all know we are. There's a big button in the you know bottom right hand, bottom left hand, whatever, wherever yep. it is of a picture of you. Like, for whatever reason, you know what's on your profile, but you keep clicking to, 
take a look at it. And I think, especially during COVID, you know, you keep looking back at times when, you know, things weren't like this and you could go anywhere and you could see anyone. And then you look at your your profile and like, wow, I haven't posted in a while because I haven't been doing anything. And, you know, that that definitely comes about. And I think that's something that, you know, you want that relevancy that, oh, I'm, I'm moving on with life and, and, and achieving what I want to achieve. And I think, you know, the world has been on such a pause that we haven't been able to see that progression as much. And right. that, can, that can be kind of frightening, especially for a college age student where there's so much uncertainty in the future. And especially for athletes where they don't know their eligibility for the next three years, or they don't know, you know, they were recruited to come here. And now, you know, there's four seniors staying back because they want to stay for another year. And now they're not going to play that they're worried about playing time next year. There's so many different factors that they're right. so worried about. Do you find that you're, you're programming differently so that, um, you know, not only is there there's this performance aspect, but so that they can, in some capacity, feel like, um, you know, like this is a space that I want to be in, you know, because for a lot of the athletes, like this is the only place they can go right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know, you know, obviously like we're programming for performance, but, you know, even as much as I can, like if I can throw something in that makes them see that like, this is a place where you guys can feel comfortable. Like you can yeah. let that, let that down a little bit. Is there anything that you're doing that you feel like has been helping in, in that regard? Yeah. So with my programs, what I do is I put this little, uh, which I'm going to talk to coach Richard, hopefully we can implement it here is I just put a little scale of um, it's muscle soreness, fatigue, uh, stress and, uh, one was, Oh, sleep. And so it's like a one through five scale, you know, one being the worst five being the best. Um, and it kind of, that's one thing that I do that will I check it before every lift and probably not, but at the, at the week's end, I kind of look at everybody's and see, okay, who was really fatigued this week? Who was really sore this week? Because on a week to week basis, it is pretty, pretty, great to kind of have that information. So I think that's a really useful tool. So kind of those student athlete questionnaires um, that, that uh, and those surveys that it's just kind of in the right corner of the program that they can fill out and just circle. They don't have to write, you know, four paragraphs, just an easy, easy circle. Um, and the, you know, it just lets me know just kind of athlete monitoring. And then another thing that we're doing is just trying to like get them to compete a little bit in here. You know, it's, I think kids are missing competition so much. I saw the, you know, what you did with Jenga and the, and the, is it sprinting? Oh yeah. You can do anything with it. You could do sprints. You can make I mean, that's fly. to me, like I took that and I was like, you know, I'm going to ask Sam's permission if I can copy that, but that's something Everyone I love. Copy that. Everyone you know I mean? don't need permission. That's, that's something that I love that you, that you did that, you know, it adds this element of fun and, and competitive drive because I think, especially if the sport has been canceled for so long, these athletes are dying to compete. And I think that's what they really yeah. need. Yeah. Agreed. You know, they want to see where the progress is going. They want that end goal. That's why we, that's why they play sports. They didn't come here to be weightlifters or powerlifters. They came here to compete in their, in their sport. Right. I completely agree. And I think uh, this is something uh, coach, coach Mendoza and I've been talking about a lot just with uh, Brandeis is, how can we how can we get them to compete? How can we get them to compete in a COVID safe area? And just talking about how important it is for these athletes to compete. Um, yeah. yeah. And just because like practice is so limited right now, mm-hmm. and so it's up to us, you know, as Coach Kamal says, to to give them what they're not getting. 
right, right? obviously that normally he's talking about like physical adaptions and making sure everything's balanced but right but in this in this in this case it is more so the you know the mental piece and the competitive piece too yeah I those are two factors that kind of have to be in addition to the physical piece yeah yeah the one of the 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 biggest things and and might be one of the last things that i do want you to discuss as well is how can we as professionals um be better at not only monitoring but uh recognizing when when someone might need either an extra nudge or, or a little bit more help yeah i mean i think the first thing to to know is that obviously as strength coaches counseling is out of our scope of practice you know if they're in serious psychological danger I'm going to refer them. I'm going to contact somebody. You know, that's the first thing, you know, that's, that's the first step and it has to be done because you're trying to keep them safe. Safety is so important, but you know, if they're, if they're dealing with something that they want to talk about, I think as, as coaches, just being there to listen is so huge. You know, I always say God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, listen more than you speak. And, you know, I think as a young college kid, I definitely spoke more than I listened, but now as I take a step back and get further in, I think I'm definitely listening more than I speak. And I think that definitely helps, especially establishing those relationships, just knowing that, you know, my dog, leaving the off one, that one thing that coach Fitzgerald actually first day told me is leave your office door open. Um, and that's kind of something that I've been doing, you know, for the past couple of days, obviously I haven't been here too long, but, um, and what I, it's something that I'll continue to do because I think, it's like it's like freshman year uh, college, you know, the door, the dorms, like leave your door open so you make friends, leave your door open so you look inviting and so that people approach you and you get to know faces, and especially during this COVID time when people are wearing masks all the time. It's like I want to make sure I'm seeing people as much as possible. Um, so I think that's definitely one thing that we can do. And then also um, recognizing that, you know, the situation that the athletes are in right now is very unique and you know unprecedented and i think that putting immense amounts of pressure on them constantly as strength coaches isn't going to help them especially because they're probably feeling pressure from the uncertainty of their sport and then you know like you said we want this waiter to be somewhere where they come in and say oh I, i'm happy i'm here and i think putting that lessening the pressure and letting them enjoy themselves is definitely going to be a, a key and and you're i think that's going to have more results than just pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. Kind of changing, changing the lens right now, changing the frame, you know, like we said, tweaking, tweaking the knob between performance and, you know, giving them that space where they can take a second and, and breathe. Right. I mean, I always say one of the quotes, I, I forget who said it, but it was phenomenal. It stuck with me forever. Is the weight room is character revealing, but it should also be character building. And I think I think that is something, you know, that I want to live by running a weight room, you know, being in a weight room my whole life. That's what I want to live by. I don't want it to be, you know, just character it. revealing. I want it to, to, to build character and, and let people help people grow. And that's kind of, you know, the attitude that I think helps with the mental health aspect. And then also helps with uh, breaking down that macho man culture of I'm the toughest strength coach around and I'm better than you, that kind of thing. Well, I, I, I know that you've already started to, to build, build character over there. 
Tom, th- thank you so so much for taking your time. I'm psyched we're able to get, we were able to do this. We're doing we're doing a part two. I don't care if you don't want to do it. No, I'm in. I'm in, man. We're doing a part two. We're doing a part three. We'll do as many parts as we need. Awesome, man. Um, Thanks for having me. And you know, I love what you do at Brandis, and I love uh, I love the podcast. And you know, I'm stealing that Jenga thing, man. That was it. awesome. Everyone steal it. I All love right, the content you put out. I appreciate it. You have a good night, Tom. Thanks, man.